I'm on my own path. My only competition is me. I'm on my own path. My only competition is me. I'm on my own path. My only competition is me. In every episode, our guests are going to share their mantra with you to set the tone for the rest of the show. The mantra I repeated at the beginning of this episode comes from our guest, Tess Brigham, and I can't wait to introduce you to her. Let's go meet Tess. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. And in every episode, our guests are going to share a book that has made an impact on the way they do things. In this episode, Tess Brigham recommends books by Brene Brown. I have The Power of Vulnerability in my Audible library, and it's definitely an audiobook I've gone back to more than once. Tess Brigham will explain why she recommends Brene Brown in greater detail during the episode. But if you want to read the book for free with a 30-day trial membership to Audible, just go to www.audibletrial.com slash handle everything and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a free title and start listening today. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com slash handle everything. Welcome to the Handle Everything podcast, where people who have a lot on their plate come to learn how to open doors to opportunities by handling it all in a healthy way. I'm your host, Tara Bradford, a former ICU nurse turned executive coach based in New York City. I am here with Tess Brigham, a licensed psychotherapist and board-certified coach who helps 20-somethings find clarity so they can confidently discover their path and make an impact on the world. She has been named the Millennial Therapist by CNBC and has been a featured millennial expert at NBC News, Yahoo News, the Chicago Tribune, HuffPost, Brit & Company, Bustle, She Knows, Primer Magazine, Gen 20, I Am & Co., Chelsea Crust, Insider, Creative Global, Thrive Global, Thought Catalog, Epoch Times, and as a regular contributor to Life Goals Magazine and The Adult Dish. Welcome to the show, Tess. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited you're here. And I start off the show with the same question for every single guest. I want to know, how full is your plate? Can you give us a quick peek into your day-to-day <laughs> life? <laughs> Well, I will say that every day is different, um, which I like, which is what I, uh, which is what I enjoy. I know it's not for everybody, but it sort of depends on the day, the days that I have. Um, there are some days that I go into San Francisco. I live in the San Francisco Bay area. So there are days that I go into San Francisco and I see clients. And so those days I'm up pretty early. I, um, I'm usually spending the morning running around. I have a 12-year-old son who needs to get to school, and he goes to a um, an alternative private school. So he has his day is different every day. <laughs> so I have to keep track of his schedule. Um, but I'm spending the morning running around, getting him ready, getting him off to school, coming back uh, to my house. Uh, getting myself ready, getting into the city, seeing clients, taking calls and having meetings in between clients um, of things that I need to do, coming home, sometimes writing notes um, and usually collapsing. Uh, There are other days where I'm not going into the city. In those days, I'm usually either running errands and other things that I need to do, or I'm working on my business. or I am reading and reading books that I think my clients would benefit from or knowledge that I need to get. Um, I'm meeting with people, networking, chatting about various projects. Uh, and, you know, I also do a lot of talks, so I'm working on talks. So every day is a little different. They're always busy. And um, every day I think 
you know, I tend to probably overbook myself and, (laughs) and then look at my day and wonder how did I think I was going to get it all done. But yeah, that's my life. And sometimes in the evenings, your husband's in a band, isn't he? Yeah. So he's in a couple different bands. So sometimes he's off rehearsing. Um, I'm very lucky because my husband cooks, so he does all of the cooking. So I am very, very lucky that I come home from work and I have a hot meal uh, there waiting for me. Um, But yeah, he's gone in the evenings. We also have, you know, we have a dog. She's now two, but she's not a puppy anymore. But usually my husband and I are trying to figure out how do we walk her and get her out of the house before it gets dark. Um, and then my son for, you know, he's got his own stuff going on. He does coding. So, uh, and he plays ping pong for his PE. So usually on the weekends, we're either taking him to ping pong or to coding and planning our lives around that. With all of that said, how do you handle everything? Um, well, (laughs) I try to, I really try to take it one task at a time. I know that I am better when I do it that way. If I look at my schedule and wonder how am I going to get it all done, I get, it's just too overwhelming. So a lot of times, especially days when I have a day full of clients, it's not about, oh, I got to see all these clients. It's much more about, okay, who's coming in next? What did we talk about? And really learning how to be present with them in that time, because that's their time. That's what they're paying for. Um, so I try to take it person by person, task by task. And I think like any other busy working mom, we're always trying to squeeze in the little things as much as we can in between the moments. So I'm unloading the dishwasher while my son is, you know, brushing his teeth and I'm always trying to squeeze in, you know, laundry in between this and that. So I, I do, um, it kind of depends on how mindful or mindless the task is the mindless. I try to just squeeze in as much as I can. The mindful, I really do try to take step by step. That's a great tip for our listeners to separate things into tasks that require a lot of mental energy and some that don't require as much. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a tough one because we have just, we have a certain amount of mental energy every day and we we top out (laughs) easily. (laughs) So you did mention that sometimes you add more to your plate than you have time for in a day. Does that ever overwhelm you or stress you out? Yes, often it does. Um, And there are, I think everybody operates differently when they feel stress. I've, I've known a lot of people over the years who feel like they have to wait till the 11th hour to do something. And for them, that stress and pressure really gets them focused I'm not like that. So for me, if I, I do try to be very mindful of keeping my days balanced to a certain degree. Um, but yeah, there are certainly days where it feels very, very overwhelming. And I do, I do get overloaded with, uh, too many things and too much going on. Do you notice what is the first sign that you might be stressed or overwhelmed or have too much, be putting too much pressure on yourself? Um, for me, it's usually when I start making mistakes, when I start making little silly mistakes, when I start, when I, I, I will say that when I was younger, my memory was sharp. I mean, I I could tell the things that I could memorize and keep straight in my head was amazing. And I'm noticing the older I get that unfortunately I can't keep things straight. But I do know that when I hit overwhelm is when I'm not writing things down, I'm not keeping things straight. And then I really know that I'm boiling over when it starts to become outward, when I start getting frustrated at everyone and everything 
how long it takes, you know, the coffee line, um, traffic, uh, you know, I get frustrated with the, you know, tripping over the dog's toys and it sort of can escalate from there. I, I can feel it building up because inanimate objects become my enemy. And I start to lash out at them. And I know that like, oh, I, there's too much going on. There's too much on my plate. Right. I know I've accidentally put things in the fridge that don't belong there, mm-hmm. like my keys or, <laughs> you know, put the cereal in the fridge and the milk in the cabinet. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I've never <laughs> done that. But I've definitely I know that there's points where like, I never lose my keys. But the few times that I've lost my keys, those are moments, you know, where you think, oh, there's too much, there's too much happening. When you lose this thing that you, you know, you need for your life, um, that's usually a sign that there's too much going on. That can be really stressful. Yeah. Tell us about a time when you were under a lot of pressure in your life and you turned it into an opportunity. Um... I would say that, so my first career before I became a therapist was I, um, I worked, uh, in Hollywood. I, my dream as a kid, I did like all the high school plays. I was a theater person. My dream was to, you know, work in the entertainment business. I, um, was a film major in college and I actually interned for Columbia Pictures over a summer for free while my friends were at the beach and, uh, I spent, you know, and then I went back and I worked for Warner brothers as an intern on the college level. And I went right from college into a job. And so around the time I was 27, I was working in LA. I worked in Hollywood and I worked for this talent manager and she wanted to promote me and she loved me and she was awesome. She and I still keep in touch today. Um, And she, you know, everybody wanted my job because I worked for this amazing boss who loved me and we had great clients and all of this, but I was miserable, like truly miserable. I could not figure out why I was so unhappy because I quote unquote, it looks like, it looked like I had it all. Um, and I kept going in, I would go into the bathroom during the day and I'd cry and I, I just didn't know why. And so I ended up leaving. I thought it was. I thought it was maybe this job, but maybe I don't want to work with actors. Maybe I want to do something else in the entertainment business. I could not for the life of me give up this idea of working in entertainment because I, at that point, had devoted my entire life to it. And it felt like I could possibly start over again. And I left that job and it was like the first day of my unemployment. And I get a call from my old college roommate telling me that our, our other roommate who my friend, who was the friend that actually connected this person that called me, that my friend Heather had passed away. And when you're 27, you don't get those kinds of phone calls. And it was a terrible accident um, that happened. And, uh, you know, then I'm flying off to uh, New York to go to her um, funeral and seeing all these people I hadn't seen in a long time. And when I came back, it really made everything crystal clear for me of, I don't want to do this. I'm not happy. Life truly is short. And if I'm going to take anything from this loss, from this tragedy is I'm going to live my life the way I want to, you know, I'm going to live my life in a way in which it makes me happy. I didn't know quite what that was. I had no idea what it was that would make me happy and what was meaningful to me, but I knew that living in LA didn't make me happy. I knew that working in the entertainment business didn't make me happy. And I knew that I, something had, I had to change. And so I really do credit Heather's death to me being able to get out of my own way and to give up this, this big dream that I had. And I came back to the Bay area And it took me, you know, I I had had some inklings that I wanted to possibly be a therapist, but it took me a little bit to get to that point. But it was her death that definitely it forced me to stop thinking that I had all the time in the world and that I should start doing something that I love to do now today 
because so much of LA and Hollywood is about once I get to this point, I'll be happy. You know, once I make this amount of money, once I, you know, with actors, it's about once I win the Oscar, once I do this. And I just didn't want to live my life like that anymore. I wanted to be happy, you know, today versus, you know, five years from now or 10 years from now. Well, I'm so sorry that you experienced a loss at such a young age, but it sounds like it was a blessing or a gift in disguise because it was kind of a wake up call that a lot of people don't get until later in life. Yeah. I mean, I've had a lot of clients over the years that have lost someone and I, I, I will tell them that, you know, it's hard to make sense of a loss because it's out of, especially if it's out of the, you know, if it's not a grandparent that was 90 who had lived this full life, it's really hard when someone dies young and dies somewhere or tragically or quickly. And I always say to my clients, like it, I know it doesn't make sense and it's not about making sense for it now, but the best way to honor that person that passed is to try to figure out, you know, what did they mean to me? What did they tell me? What did they teach me? And really taking that and, and putting it into your own life and pushing forward. And for me, Heather was someone who was, who was living her life, who always enjoyed her life, who was someone who um, loved her friends and cared about people. And, um, you know, she would have, I know for her, she wouldn't have just sat with unhappiness. She would go off and make a change. And so for me, that fueled me and it allowed me to say, okay, you know, in the grander scale, I don't quite understand what, why this happened, but I have to take, and I have to find the meaning within it for myself. And I think when it comes to grief, that's a big part of it because there's a lot of, you know, people pass away and it just, it makes no sense. Right. And for our listeners who are listening and you're in your twenties and thirties, and maybe you're grieving the loss, I just want to plug that there is a nonprofit organization called The Dinner Party, where you can find community with other people who have, who are grieving the loss of someone unexpectedly at a young age. I don't know if you've heard of it, Tess. I have. I have. And I've actually, um, I've given it as a resource to a few clients. I don't know if they've taken, if they've done it, but it sounds amazing. And, um, and I know that if you live, I think there's at least there's, it's across the country. Um, and it is, you know, I think that their grief is one of those things that there isn't anything anyone can do. You know, the best way to grieve is to sit with it and sit with the loss and not try to make someone feel better and not try to say, Oh, you know, they're up in they're up in heaven looking down on you and they were so proud of you or any of that. It's really about being able to sit with that. And when it comes to the best groups to be a part of are always grief groups. Like it's, you need to sit within the grief with other people who really understand what it's like. And so I love what they, this organization did because they made it less about let's sit in a circle, but, and let's like, let's make a meal together. And let's be a part of something together. Right. And I had the chance to talk to a couple of women who had lost their mothers who joined groups here in New York City. And they're still in the groups years later and have become really good friends with the people that they have dinner with. And it, there are surprisingly a lot of groups in New York. Mm -hmm. But I do know that they have multiple chapters. Yeah. Yeah. Well, getting back to your story, um, I just want to know what has been one of the biggest stress relievers for you in your personal or professional life when you are losing your keys <laughs> or getting frustrated in traffic? Um, I mean, there's a couple different things. I think for me, you know, I... I used to have a very stressful job where I worked at this inpatient drug and alcohol treatment center. And so when you work at inpatient treatment centers, a lot of people do not want to be there and they're very angry at you. And so it was a hard job. And I would just have a bunch of pictures of my son who at that time was two, three 
uh, up in front of my desk. And so when I got overwhelmed, I would just look at his picture and it sort of helped me get very crystal clear on what's important, what's not important. You know, who am I, who, whose energy and love do I need to take in and whose do I need to let go of? So I know now for me, you know, being able to go see my, you know, be with my son, spend time with him, talk to him. That always helps me feel a lot better. Um, we do have, I mentioned earlier, we do have a dog and I think animals are amazing. And, uh, so we have, she is a pug. She is so cute. Her name's Jabba. <laughs> my son named her. And, um, she just, I mean, I can't even tell you like it, it, just having her on my lap, you know, petting her. And that's one of the reasons why we got her was that my son struggles with a lot of anxiety and, um, you know, there's research has been done that petting a dog releases and lowers your blood pressure, helps your anxiety. Um, and pets keep everything very simple. Like their wants and needs are so easy and simple to, to do. So having her and taking her on a walk and seeing her interact with other dogs, it just always makes me really, really happy. And, you know, my husband is very good about being able to lighten moods and make jokes and, you know, help me sort of get out of my own way. He manages his stress a lot better than I do. So, um, he's very good at kind of like laughing at me and, and not, and sort of forcing me to not take myself so seriously. That's awesome. I have a dog too, so I can totally relate to everything that you said. <laughs> so in the next segment of the show, I want to focus more on your career and what you're doing now. And I know your practice is filled mostly with millennials and you're based in San Francisco, but you also see clients virtually. Yes. And they come to you with a lot of anxiety about work in this new era of technology. And some people refer to this as the Sunday scaries, where you get a lot of anxiety on Sunday, knowing that work is the next day. Or maybe you have a better definition of what the Sunday scaries are for our listeners. Yeah. I mean, it, I think it, it's different. It's a little different for everybody, but um, I think it's that dreaded feeling that you get as the day goes on and on and on, on Sunday about having this full work week ahead. And, um, and it's just this anxiety that builds, uh, about, you know, and I think that the, the, the language and the thought process in your mind is something like, I have so much to do. I'm never going to get it done. This is going to be so overwhelming. You know, how do I do this? This is so hard. I think that sort of inner critic and that inner, the inner negative voices start to, you know, you start to circle the drain of everything that you have to do and how am I going to get it done? And, um, and just feeling that level of overwhelm and, and then there's this, the other part of it feeling like, well, this is interfering in my weekend and I shouldn't be feeling this way. And, Right. And so you kind of go down this path of not only fearing the next day, but then judging yourself for fearing the next day. And it goes on and on and on. Right. And your practice has been open for over a decade. So you've seen people before technology and after technology. Do you notice a difference in people today having their email and their work on their phone? Yes. And this is one of the things. So I, I give talks, uh, to, to other therapists, but people of older generations, bosses, managers, and to explain like why millennials are the way they are and how they think. And, and one of the things that I will always point out to them is that there are some things about the world that we live in today that are radically different than how it was when myself, when they were at the early stages of their careers. And I tell the story often, which is that my first job, I worked 9.30 to 5.30. And at 5.30, we turned off the lights, locked the door and left. And my boss could not get a hold of me. 
unless she, you know, called me at home and I was at home and I picked up the phone. So the, the thing was that we didn't have these so many lines of communication. And so what's happening now is, is that, um, bosses, even though bosses are turning to their employees saying, you know, we believe in work-life balance and that's okay. And you deserve this. Bosses are still emailing clients. They're emailing them, my clients, employees, bosses are still emailing over the weekend, asking questions. And what happens for my clients is, is that they're constantly on the weekends having to kind of deal with, oh, do I respond? Do I not respond? And then if I don't respond, I feel guilty. So maybe I should respond. And then again, the cycle goes on and on. And so, yeah, technology has made it that we we are being bombarded by people in so many different ways beyond the phone, but by email and beyond email, it's on our phones via text. Like we have all these ways too. Like I have people that are Facebook messaging me and then I have some message in Instagram and I have, you know, someone emailing me through LinkedIn and, you know, there's, I, and I'm, I have like all these things that I have to check and I don't even have Slack or any of those things, you know, so many different things that I have to check all the time and keep all of these conversations straight and have I responded to this person or not. So what's happened to this generation is there's this real, they're required to be on and on all the time. They truly don't get downtime. And it's, it's interesting because I've had clients say, you know, this, I took this vacation. This truly was, I was able to relax. Like when they leave one job and they're going to go to another job and they take a trip, they'll say, this was the first time I've been able to just relax, not have anything to worry about and do. I mean, it literally takes leaving one job and going to another job to have that level of freedom. And so we have this generation of people that are required to be on all the time that, um, so even though you have a boss who's saying, you know, I believe in work-life balance, the boss is still emailing you. And so even if you don't respond at that level, that level of, of what that is that sits in your stomach, it stays there. It sits in you. And I think that that contributes to the Sunday scaries, right? It's like this buildup of, Oh, I got all these emails. It's not even the emails I have to respond to on Monday. It's the emails I got on Saturday and Sunday that I have to worry about. Um, and so I'm someone who I do work a lot and I do a work over the weekends and, and all of that because I, during the week, I'm not always working. So I'm doing that kind of thing, but I, I can't imagine what it's like for a 25, 26 year old who's young and, um, inexperienced and trying to make a good impression on their boss and all of that to, to then have to stand up for themselves and say, no, I'm not going to respond to the email. I'm not going to let this, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to have this work-life balance. And so what I see is my clients are very burned out. They're very tired. Um, and, you know, they're not even 30 yet. And it's, it's a big problem because this is the next generation of, you know, millennials are becoming the managers, the bosses, the leaders. And what we've, you know, what technology has done is it's made it so everything's very intrusive. And on top of that, that we've made it so that there is no division between our lives and that, you know, that level of anxiety that we feel at work is always sitting there with us. Right. And you said something really interesting that your clients feel like they're required to respond on the weekend. Do you think that requirement, where do you think that comes from? Because I don't know that there's a policy <laughs> or a job description anywhere that says you have to respond to your email at 10 p.m. at night or, you know, first thing when you wake up in the morning and on the weekend. Mm -hmm. I think, well, it's interesting because I had a client recently mentioned that she's in this situation where her boss emails her and another team member on the weekend and then the other team member is responding. Right. And so that right there, even though she's not required to respond, 
And she's trying to set very firm limits and boundaries, which she and I have talked about. Um, that pressure from this other person doing it, it automatically makes her look bad, right? Or have the boss think about something like, oh, well, why isn't she responding? I respond, you know, so-and-so is always getting back to me. So the workplace, it's very competitive. So even though these are not written rules anywhere, and even though people, right, we all know this, people say things all the time. They say something and then they do something else. And so just like I'm a parent, so I know that I can't say something to my son and then do the opposite, right? Because what is he to believe and trust? So if I'm going to believe something and stand behind something, then I need to, I need to act upon it. I need to, you know, walk the walk. And so even though there isn't anything written, if employees are seeing other employees respond, if the leader and there's other, there are some tech companies here where the, they, you know, they, they talk about balance, they talk about work-life balance, they talk about all of this, like creating this culture of this, that, but at the same time, they're working nonstop and, and they are very out and proud saying, yeah, I don't have any hobbies. I work all the time. So how do you then go against that grain? It's, it's impossible. And, and so what I see are, I have a lot of confused clients about, you know, I read in all these articles about self-care and taking care of myself, but nobody's doing it around me. So and it's hard to be an outlier at, you know, again, it's, it's back to being, I think, you know, once we get past a certain age, we forget what it's like to be 25, 26, 27. Like you're young, you're, you know, this is the first decade of adulthood and you're trying to figure out so many aspects of your life. And so you're supposed to then be an outlier, (laughs) you know, and break this rule. I mean, that feels even scarier. Right. So when people are trying to do their best, they're they're really high achievers at heart if they are subscribing to this competitive nature and wanting to do a good job, wanting to perform, wanting to please their bosses and and do the right thing by responding to these emails. And it's creating this anxiety. So do you think that they at the heart of all of this, they really just want to do a good job? Yes. I mean, that is the truth. They want to do a good job. They are, they've always, you know, they, my clients very much, and I think San Francisco Bay Area tracks um, this kind of person where, you know, these are the people that were at the top of their class. They went to Stanford, they went to Harvard, they went to Penn, you know, smart, smart people that have always been achieving, that have always worked hard that uh, always want the extra mile for things. And yeah, at the core, they are um, people who, you know, want to do a good job and believe in what they do and want to do it well. And I think what is so hard is, is that the metrics that we use in school to measure how well someone's doing, when you go into the workplace, that disappears. You know, I mean, the thing is, is that if you're someone who's a high achiever and you're educated, you've spent a long time being in the structure of the school system and, and, you know, knowing that, oh, this is a syllabus. This is what's expected of me. This is how I get an A. This is how I get a B. It's very crystal clear. And so what I see is a lot of high achievers that are going into the workplace saying, I don't know, how do I get the A? I don't know how to do that. You know, how, you know, how do I, how do I stand out in front of my boss? How do I, you know, get that recognition that I'm looking for. How do I do this? And for them, it's like, oh, okay, I'll just work really, really hard. And again, what happens in companies and, and I, I do go into companies and I do talk to the people there. And, and it's a question that comes up for people all the time where they all say to me, you know, I would like to have balance in my life, but I look around and the people that are being rewarded are those who are working 12 hour days. And, and so that is a bit of this cycle that people get into, which is, you know, we are rewarding people for just working and working and working. 
and then telling them have work-life balance. And then, (laughs) you know, you could see how this high achieving person feels utterly confused on, oh, how do I do this? And then I have to do this for the next 50 years. You know, how am I going to make it? Right. So for people listening to this show who are experiencing anxiety about work, who are aware that they don't have the power to control those around them who don't have work-life balance, what (laughs) advice would you give to them about how to handle this kind of stress? Yeah, so I would... I, I. I would do a couple different things. I think that, you know, I do think that work has to be meaningful. Um, So I think, I think, I think it's a couple different things. I think that some of it is about looking into the big picture of what's important to you and what's not important to you. And how do you want to live your life? And what are your values? And I think that there are you know, if you're sitting here thinking, well, well, I don't know what my values are. There are a million and one um, things online that you can take to kind of get a better sense of, you know, what's important to me, what's not important to me. And I think that people do need to have, you don't need to have your whole life mapped out. And I'm not saying that you need to have a 20 year plan, but you do have to have a greater sense of what is it that I want? What's important to me? What direction do I want to go in? What do I, you know, what's, what do I want my life to be about? And then really looking at, does this job that I'm doing, does this align with any of that? You know, why am I doing this? Am I doing this because I want to, you know, because I think that if I make this amount of money, I'll be happy. Or do I really believe in this company and what I'm doing? Um, and so I think you have to have these hard, sort of these big, big questions that you have to ask yourself and, and that will help you better understand whether or not you're, you know, you're enjoying your job and it's worth all of the stress that you're going through. But I think the flip side of it is, is that I think, unfortunately, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to be uncomfortable for a little bit, but it will pay off in the end, which means that you're going to have to be that person who doesn't respond on the weekends, who doesn't check the email. You're going to have to really figure out for yourself. Okay. Uh, you know, if you're someone who's been responding to emails all weekend, every weekend for years, what's one thing that I can do differently that will, you know, um, make it less, you know, I I have a little bit more balance, but it's less scary for me. And so I would say, okay, well, why don't you, you can only respond to, you know, you can only respond to emails for one hour on Saturday and one hour on Sunday. And then slowly sort of break that down so that you kind of learn to sit with slowly pulling back not feeling like, you know, I can let these emails sit. I don't need to respond to all of them now. Um, and really start to pull, pull back and not get too caught up in, oh my God, all these people are responding and I'm not, and they're going to look at me this way. And, oh my gosh. Um, for some of my clients, I've worked with them on just really being mindful of the number of hours they work every day. I have a lot of clients who will like have to get up early at 6am to go in for early meetings or take a meeting because they're talking to someone in another country. And then they have meetings all day and they're working and then like, Oh yeah, I also have this meeting in a different part of the world. So I have to be awake and ready for that at 6pm. And, and I'll help them really say, okay, if, if you regularly take these calls out of the country, like all your early morning is this day, you know, and you don't schedule it on other days, like, you know, that's your early morning day. And on your early morning day, you end the day at four, you know, or three, your late day, you don't start till 10 or 11, you know, because you're going really late and just helping them create that, that balance between the hours of, of the day that they're working. And I've had one client who, I I mean, literally it was like, what, you know, where we were like scheduling dinners and things for her at six o'clock. So it forced her to leave at five 30, or if she got to work at seven, she had to leave by four. If she got to work at nine, she had to leave by 
six, you know, really just saying, this is all you have, like you have to leave. And what they found was as scary as it felt, what they found was that they had number one, they had more energy the next day. So they were able to get a lot more done the next day. Um, they found that, oh my gosh, I'm out with my friends and that fueled me and that made me feel so good. And so that gave me the energy to wake up the next day and go to work. Um, so it's really what I do is I, I think that it's very scary for someone to just turn and go from being someone who works all the time to, okay, now you're just, you only can work these days. Um, and what I really encourage you to do is figure out what's something scary, but doable that you can do. Is it leaving at, at a certain time? Is it um, setting a limit of I'm only going to go home and respond to emails for one hour, whatever it is. And then slowly, slowly start to see, because you will, you will start to see the, the positives. You will start to see that you have more energy. You are more excited. We are trying to be machines. We live in a world of technology and we are comparing ourselves to the technology, but we are not machines. We don't operate like that. If we work 12, 14 hours a day, it will catch up to us. A machine can keep going, but we're human. So don't try to compete with the machines <laughs> and don't try to compete with your uh, coworkers. <laughs> compete with yourself, you know, you and know yourself. And a big part about growing up and being in your 20s and all of that is really learning, like, who am I? What's important to me? What's not important to me? How do I operate? How do I work best? You know, and, and that's part of the process of slowly as you go, starting to learn how to, oh, okay, yeah, if I go to bed a little bit earlier, I am more refreshed. Oh, okay. And so it may seem like, oh, you know, that's impossible to do. But it is, it's more possible than you think. Cause I've done it over and over again with workaholic clients and in this crazy industry out here of tech. And it does work. People do feel better. They do feel more refreshed. So just start small and then slowly build it up. Absolutely agree with everything that you said. And you actually have a self study course on your website for people who maybe aren't ready to see a therapist or don't want to work with someone on this that outlines all of the steps that you just gave about finding meaning in your work and defining career goals and taking control of your work life. So for anyone listening who's interested in more steps and more details about those steps, you can visit testbriggumcoaching.com. And Along those lines, when, when your clients work with you, I know a lot of people think if they go to therapy, they're going to be in therapy every week forever. And for your clients, you actually want to launch them or you want to see them graduate from working with you. So tell us a little bit about what that looks like when your clients know that they've made it and and maybe they don't need to come every so, week anymore. Yeah, I mean, I often tell people like therapy, therapy shouldn't be forever. You know, you can be on and off in therapy for most of your life. That's great. But the goal of therapy and the goal of coaching isn't for you to spend one hour a week with me or someone else for the rest of your life. That that it's really about you learning the tools and techniques that you need in order to be able to address and address your issues in real time on your own. And so my job is, I always say my job is to help you not see me anymore because my job is to help you figure out how to gain the confidence that you need and to get the clarity and to, um, really know how to implement these strategies that we're talking about. So for a goal would be for a client who comes to me and says, you know what, I, I realized I was, if I use the example earlier, I would know I was working too much. I realized I was burned out. I started to set some limits on myself or I saw that my coworker responded on the weekend, but I really, I said to myself, I'm not competing with her. I'm I'm on this path myself. I don't need to respond. This can wait. 
Um, it's those moments that I see success for my clients. It's those moments that I realize, okay, good. You're starting to implement these things. So the goal is to be able to get to a point where you're able to see what's going on for yourself, understand it, have the insight, figure out how to address it and then address it, you know, and to implement it. And so part of the process of when I work with people is in the beginning, I'm just really helping them point it out. Because we do tend to go through our lives pretty mindlessly, you know, we're, we're on these like, you know, got to get to work on the phone, got to get here, blah, blah, you know, and we don't spend a lot of time stopping and thinking like, how do I feel? What's going on with me right now? Do I feel happy? Do I feel sad? Like, you know, do I, am I hungry? Am I anxious? Am I, you know, all of these basic needs that we have. And so part of the first thing I'm really doing is helping people really be able to understand how they're feeling so that they can understand their emotions, they can address them in real time. The other part of it too, is sometimes it's not necessarily about addressing your feelings. Like sometimes we feel things that there's nothing we can do about. So part of it is going, gosh, I feel really anxious about this presentation that I have coming up. Well, you know, presenting in front of people is, you know, something that makes people anxious. I know I'll do a good job. I feel confident. I've done everything I can do. And, and it's being able to say to yourself, I accept the feeling. I'm okay. I accept this feeling and I'm going to move forward. So it's really about being able to get to a person to that place where they're able to do things on their own in real time, address them. And, and a lot of times with many of my clients, you know, we might start off in the beginning seeing each other every week or every other week. And then as it goes, I'm seeing them less, maybe once a month and then once every couple months and then they take a break. And, and, and so to me, when a client is, you know, coming in after a month of not seeing them and they've got nothing to talk about, like they're handling everything perfectly. You're like, that's it. You did it. <laughs> you're on your way. And that's the best. <laughs> and so, and then someone might come back around because some, something happened that they can't, you know, they can't handle on their own. That's great. But each, it's really about being able to get to a point where you feel like, oh, okay, you know, I'm in control of my life. I, I have complete control of how I think and how I think affects how I feel and how I feel affects my behavior. So I'm going to take control of how I'm thinking about this and change that. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I hope it provides some clarity for our listeners around what therapy is and how coaching can be integrated with therapy to get results that empower you to take control of your life. Yes, that's the goal. And as we wrap up the interview, I just have a few rapid fire questions. I want you to tell me the first thing that comes to mind when I ask these. Okay. What does it mean to feel successful to you? Um, I think it's about feeling like my life is meaningful. I'm doing something that impacts people in a positive way. What is something you've accomplished that you are most proud of? Um, you know, I, my son, that he's here, we've, he's alive, we've kept him alive for 12 years, that, and that he's doing really, really well right now. And he's happier. And what are you most looking forward to this year? Um, gosh, I think for me, because I'm at a point where I'm really learning to let go myself, I'm really excited to sort of see where 2020 takes me. And what is going to keep you up at night after this interview? <laughs> um... Oh my gosh. Uh, what will keep me up at night after this interview? I think, I think I tend to, um, I tend to criticize. I mean, I can be, you know, I'm not a perfectionist, but I'm definitely someone who always wants to do a good job. So there's a part of me that feels like, Oh, I should have talked about this, or maybe I should have talked about that, or maybe I was too long winded. <laughs> That's the kind of thing that would keep me up. <laughs> and what is your favorite book or resource that you think would help our listeners? 
Um, so for, it depends on the listener. I mean, for my clients who are in their twenties and thirties, um, I think a great book is the defining decade, um, which I think is an amazing resource for anyone in their twenties to really understand what the 20 something years are all about by Meg Jay. But for across the board, I absolutely love Brene Brown. And um, her work on vulnerability and shame and um, what she has to say. So any of her books, Daring Greatly, Rising Strong, Dare to Lead, Braving the Wilderness. I mean, she has some others, Gifts of Imperfection. Any book by Brene Brown, I highly recommend. Amazing. And one last question. What's the best way our listeners can get into contact with you? Uh, the best way is to, you can go on my website, testbriggumcoaching.com. Um, and there's a way to contact me and it comes right to me and I'll get back to you. Um, if you're interested in working with me, there's a couple different ways. If you're in the Bay area and you're interested in my hybrid of psychotherapy and coaching, um, there is a way on my website to set up a consultation And then also if you're outside of the Bay Area, um, I do do coaching. And if you're interested in learning about that, again, just go on my uh, scheduling page and there'll there'll be instructions on how to book what uh, consultation. And yeah, I'm I'm more than happy to spend 30 minutes on the phone and learning about you and seeing if we're a good fit. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was such a pleasure to speak with you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. What did you think? I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you want to let me know what you thought about this, just send me a message on Instagram at Tara Ray Bradford. My intention with the show is to share how other people are handling everything and to give you actionable steps to make positive changes in your life because of these episodes. I'd love to know what you thought. And if you want to check out the links and everything from this show, go on over to handleeverything.com. And be sure you hit subscribe if you haven't already. And make sure you check out Tess Brigham. She has some amazing things going on at tessbriggumcoaching.com and also a free ebook on her website called The Quarter Life Crisis Handbook, which I think would be helpful for anyone going through a life crisis at any age. Thank you again to Tess for being on the show and thank you to everyone listening in. You're amazing and I'm so proud of you for being able to manage all the things on your plate. From me and the podcast team, make today the best day. And by the way, if you haven't listened to episode one yet, it's an episode from Dr. Dan Diamond about how to thrive under pressure. Check it out. Hey, in case I haven't said thank you enough yet, thanks for listening to the Handle Everything podcast at handleeverything.com. Handle Everything.